0: Father God, be with us now. Help us to understand your word, to be challenged by it, to be encouraged by it, and to apply it to our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Many of you may be aware that I'm a history teacher with a passion for people and a passion for rugby, real rugby, that is. As a history teacher and a rugby union fan, I love hearing what captains say to inspire their teams, to make them attain the unattainable, to make it clear what they, their leader, expects of each and every single team member. Some of you may remember the words of Winston Churchill from the darkest moments of World War II, reminding his team what was expected. He said, we have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. With all the strength that God can give us, we shall never surrender. Or some of you may remember the words of JFK responding to his team's fears of global communism when he said, "'So, my fellow Americans.'" Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Or some of you may recall recently the words of the South African rugby captain, Sia Kolossi, who said, we love you, South Africa, and we can achieve anything if we work together as one. Last week in church, we heard about the greatest leader of all time, call his team together. He called his first disciples his first followers. We have now reached the point in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus is about to make the most famous and greatest inaugural speeches of all time, the greatest captain's talk ever. It is my hope that God's word today will challenge and encourage you. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is about to make it clear what he, the captain, Expects of each and every single member of his team, the members of his kingdom. He's about to explain who they are and what he, Jesus, the forever king, expects of them. But before we get into his team talk, we need to look at the setting. So please, would you have your Bibles open there at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. So let's get into it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So Jesus goes up on a mountainside and sits down. The correct posture for a formal Jewish teacher. It is important to note that the crowds are not excluded here. Jesus is concerned for the multitudes, and everything he said on this occasion was spoken publicly. However, I hope you didn't miss it. Did you hear who he directed his teaching to? He directs his teaching towards his disciples. If you've ever watched a big game on TV or live streamed, for example, an NRL grand grand final, often before the game or at halftime, they cross live to the change room and we see the coach uh, like maybe Michael McGuire in the 2014 NRL Grand Final, you would see him motivating his players. We as the television audience can listen in to the coach's instructions, but but the coach is talking to the players. He is showing the team players what is expected of them on the field, not what is expected of the couch potatoes listening in from their comfort on their lounge room at home. Now of course there were not many comforts on a 1st century mountainside in Galilee, but the crowds were there listening in, but his disciples came to him and Jesus began to teach them. What is it like to be a follower of Jesus? What does it involve? Well, the greatest preacher ever is about to tell them what it means to be on his team in the greatest sermon ever preached. To follow Jesus demands a total different way of life. Right from the outset of his ministry, Jesus lays it on the line for those who are following him. Jesus' sermon is going to deal with the character, duties, attitudes, and dangers of the Christian disciple. It is a manifesto setting out the nature of life in the kingdom for the Christian It is important to note that the sermon thus makes no claims to present an ethic for all people. Indeed, much of it would make no sense as a universal code. It is concerned not with ethics in general, but rather with discipleship, with man in his obedience and devotion to God, not with a pattern for society. Now, if you are not a disciple of Jesus, can I encourage you, Listen in like the crowds were listening in on that day in the first century Galilee. Yes, Jesus is directing this teaching at his team, but in so doing, he's also challenging those outside of the team. He challenges them to consider where they stand with him. He challenges them to consider joining the team, but he also wants them to understand what it involves to be a part of the team. And so for the crowds... These words are an invitation. The sermon that spans from Matthew 5 verse 1 all the way through to Matthew chapter 7 presents the radical demand of Jesus the King on all who respond to his teaching of his kingdom. Today we'll start at the very beginning of the sermon, focusing in on the very first teaching, just one verse, but a very important one. The disciples are gathered at the feet of Jesus, and the crowds are listening in. How will the Lord begin? Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. According to the Cambridge Dictionary, blessed can mean to be brought happiness, to be brought luck, or something you need. I wonder... What came to your mind when the words were read out, blessed? I wonder if you thought of your team that maybe won the grand final. Or maybe you were thinking, I would feel blessed if I won the lottery. Or, I do feel blessed because I live in the lucky country. Or, dot, 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 fill in the blanks. Is this what Jesus is saying when he begins by pronouncing a certain kind of person, blessed? Well, this is not quite what Jesus is saying here, as those circumstances that I've just mentioned can change or can be open to interpretation. Just because your team won the grand final in 2014 doesn't mean they'll win it any time soon. Do we really live in the lucky country? I know that uh, the South Africans or the Scottish or English or Yorkshiremen or those from the Shire would argue that their home is God's country. And just because one might win the lottery does not mean they are going to be wealthy for the remainder of their earthly life. And it certainly does not mean it will bring happiness. In fact, according to many multiple recent studies, about 70% of lottery winners end up going broke and filing for bankruptcy after winning the lottery. And only 55% of them actually feel like they're happier after winning the lottery than before it. So what is Jesus saying when he calls his followers blessed? The old Greek word used here by Matthew is makarios. And it does mean happy, fortunate, blissful. The great poet Homer used the word to describe a wealthy man and Plato used it of one who is successful in business. Both Homer and Hesiod spoke of the Greek gods as being happy within themselves because they were unaffected by the world of man, men who were subject to poverty, disease, weakness, misfortune, and death. The fullest meaning of the word has to do with an inward contentedness, that is not affected by circumstances. A state of joy, a state of well-being that does not depend on physical, temporary circumstances. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, 11 to 13, I've learnt to be content, whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Tyndale's commentary says that someone who is blessed by God is someone who is to be congratulated, someone whose life is enviable, and as the Bible speaks today says, that person's life is one of profound joy, a joy that cannot be taken by anyone or anything, as that joy comes from God. It comes from God alone. Martin Luther said of this word, ya yeah, Jesus preaches an altogether new sermon for Christians, that if it does not go well with them, if they suffer poverty and have to do without riches, power, honor, and a good time, they are still to be happy and not to have a temporary but a different and eternal reward that they have enough in the kingdom of heaven. This word blessed, Yah refers to the ultimate well-being And distinctive spiritual joy of those who share in the salvation of the kingdom of heaven. God's kingdom. Blessed. The ultimate well-being. Being right with God. A distinctive spiritual joy of only those who share in Christ's kingdom. They have a joy that cannot be taken as they are right with God because God has made them right with Himself. It is clear at the start of the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus is speaking of a reality. He is speaking of now, not just in the future, a reality that is only for believers. Others can get a glimpse of the kingdom's blessings, but only those who belong to the kingdom have the promise of being blessed by God being right with him now and forever. Are you blessed by God? Or are you just getting a glimpse at it? If you're looking from the outside like the crowds, I plead with you, consider what it means to be blessed by God. Consider what it might be like to have a state of joy, to have a well-being that does not depend on the physical temporary circumstances of this world, to be given a state of being right with God, by God. If you are a believer, this part of the verse can be challenging, but it can also be encouraging. Sometimes I wonder if I've grasped this joy, am I content, whatever the circumstances? Am I content in Any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, am I relying on him alone who gives me strength? I certainly should be. As a Christian, you have, not you will get, you have been given the ultimate well-being and spiritual joy as you share in the salvation of the kingdom of God. As a Christian, be encouraged. You are on Jesus' team, and thus you are blessed. This blessedness has been declared on you by your captain and forever King Jesus. Matthew 5.3 Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, growing up in South Africa, poverty was in my face every single day. In 1995, when I was a teenager, at least 58% of South Africa's population lived in poverty. Today, that number stands at 55%, with extreme poverty at 25% of the population. Is Jesus in Matthew 5 verse 3 telling us to be materially poor Sadly, some misled interpretations of Matthew 5 verse 3 would like you to believe this. They would like you to believe that this verse is referring to material. Poor does mean to shrink, to cower, or to cringe, as beggars did in that day. It was the word used to refer to a person of total destitution, one who crouched in a corner begging As he held out one hand for donations, he often hid his face with the other hand because he was ashamed of being recognized. The term did not mean simply poor, but begging poor. It is used in Luke 16.20 to describe the beggar Lazarus. If Jesus was advocating material poverty, he would have contradicted many other parts of his word that teach us to give financially to the poor. If Jesus was teaching the blessedness of material poverty, then the task of Christians would be to help make everyone, including themselves, penniless. I want to make it very clear. Jesus did not teach that. Jesus is not teaching, you yeah, the material poverty is the path to spiritual prosperity. Nicodemus Joseph of Arimathea and Philemon were all wealthy and all faithful. They were not condemned for being rich. Matthew makes it clear by clarifying that Jesus is talking about the condition of the spirit, not the wallet. Blessed are the poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is to recognize one's spiritual poverty Apart from God. To be poor in spirit is to recognize your complete spiritual hopelessness and dependence on God. It refers to the person who has confidence only in God for their relationship with him. Please note, and this is very important. Almost by definition, poor in spirit cannot start with us. It does not start with anything we can do or accomplish with our own power. As Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verse 16 and 18, it does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. God has opened his followers' eyes and allowed them to learn to put their trust in him alone. And to their unspeakable joy, they find that the kingdom is God's free gift to them. Their sheer joy springs from the undreamed of grace, God's undeserved goodness towards them and they humbly trust God. Yes, this genuine humility is produced by the Lord as an element of the work of salvation, but it is also important to note that it is also commanded of Jesus' followers. And you can see Matthew 23.12 and James 4.10 later. Matthew 23.12, James 4.10 just two of many verses that call us, as his followers, to humble ourselves before God. This humble, unworldly attitude which puts its trust only in God is the mark of the disciple. The kingdom of heaven belongs to or consists of such people. They are God's people. Jesus, the forever king, and captain of God's team makes it clear what he expects of each and every member of his kingdom to be poor in spirit to recognise their complete spiritual hopelessness and dependence on him on him alone we're now up to the application point on the outline the passage has been clear there are two groups of people the crowd listening in, but not part of the team, and the disciples, your team members. I'll start with the crowd, those who have not given their lives to Jesus yet, but are listening in to what He says. Like some of the crowd listening to Jesus, you might agree with them when at the end of his sermon in Matthew 728 to29 they, the crowd, were amazed. At his teaching, they were amazed because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. If this is you, don't just leave it at amazement, like many of the crowd did, and many still do today. Can I encourage you to ask questions? Ask as many questions as you can, find out more about who Jesus is. And what he has done for you. He is not just any good moral teacher. He himself claims to be far greater than that. And thus, if you leave him as a good moral teacher, you are in fact calling him a liar. What do these words, Yarin Matthew, mean for you? If you are part of the crowd, they are certainly not congratulations. You can't congratulate a guest on his wedding garment if he doesn't have it on. What then? If you see people being welcomed to a feast with a certain garment on, don't the words of welcome stir you up to go and get a garment like that? And if you see people being promised the blessings of eternal life because they are poor in spirit, don't those words of promise beckon you to become that kind of person. There are many people here in this church who would love to sit down with you and point you to the real historical Jesus. You just need to ask. You might like to indicate that on your contact card, which you were given when you came in, and one of the ministry staff can get back to you. In the week of the 17th of February, we also start an Explore series, which might be very useful to you. In fact, the title of this talk today had you in mind, New Year, New Thinking. Are you going to have a whole new thinking about Jesus this year? Jesus said in Luke 15.10, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I do hope, if this is you, that this year there will be much rejoicing in heaven over you. So the Beatitudes are words of invitation for the crowds, the people who come to Jesus out of tradition or curiosity or skepticism. And for some, they are words of transformation by the power and mercy of God. For Jesus' disciples, these are words of celebration. If you are a believer today, a few things to think about. Sometimes as Christians, we have to stop and think and acknowledge that we are blessed and be thankful. By being in Christ, we are blessed. We need to take stock of this so that we are not dissatisfied in life. There's a temptation to ask to be blessed with more, just like some of misled people who believe that material poverty is the path to spiritual prosperity There are others, sadly, who will say that having more is God's blessing for us and that if we don't have more, that we are not blessed. This is not the truth. Let me be very, very clear. That thinking is not biblical. We as Christians need to know we have the greatest blessing we can ever have. We do not need to ask to be blessed more. If we are in Christ, we are blessed. Ephesians 1 3 4 tells us that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. As a Christian, You are blessed with every spiritual blessing, and that is now. I have certainly been challenged this week to reconsider saying that good old phrase, God bless you, to fellow Christians, as they are already blessed, blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Maybe I should simply be reminding them, that they are blessed in Christ. Paul says of believers in Romans chapter 8, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, Nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. One last point to those who call themselves Christian. Are you recognizing your complete spiritual hopelessness and dependence on God Or are you still trying in some little way or big way to earn your salvation or to depend on your strength, your own strength? Are you resting in and on and by Christ, Christ alone? Are you humbling, trusting God in every aspect of your life and obeying his word to humble yourself? This humble, unworldly attitude which puts its trust only in God is the mark of the disciple. The kingdom of heaven belongs to or consists of such people. They are God's people. To conclude, as a history teacher and a rugby union fan, I love hearing what captains say to inspire their teams. To make them, their team, attain the unattainable. To make it clear what they, their leader, expects of each and every team member. Well, the greatest captain of all time started the greatest speech of all time with blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed, referring to the ultimate well-being. Spiritual joy of those who share in the salvation of God's kingdom. This is who you are if you are part of his team. You are blessed. A blessedness that has been declared on you by your captain, Jesus. Jesus, the forever king and captain of God's team, also makes it clear what he expects of each and every single member of his team. Be poor in spirit. Recognize your complete spiritual hopelessness. And depend on him alone. Are you blessed by God? Are you poor in spirit? Are you on Jesus' team? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen.